Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you are involved with a PBS or Community Access Television station, or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast, or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to talk about a very interesting group, the Union of Concerned Scientists. My guest today is an expert on this topic. Johanna Chow Kralik is the president of the Union of Concerned Scientists, a scientific advocacy nonprofit based in the United States. She has represented the organization in lobbying Congress and business leaders in a variety of areas, especially with climate change, attacks on democratic institutions, and the threat of nuclear war. She is very active, and I'm so delighted she's with me today because we're going to talk about three really important topics. Joanna Chow Kreilich, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you so much, Bill. I'm just delighted to be here with you. I appreciate you being with me. Let's start off with a very basic question. What is the Union of Concerned Scientists? So the Union of Concerned Scientists, also known as UCS, is a national nonprofit organization. Um, we were founded over 52 years ago um, by scientists from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Um, they were concerned about nuclear weapons and the militarization of scientific research. Um, so they held a protest on March 4th, 1969, um, and issued a statement calling for research to be directed away from military technologies and towards solving pressing environmental and social problems. Um, that was the seed and the taproot of the work of the Union of Concerned Scientists. Um, and our mission truly is to um, put science into action for the public good. Um, we advocate for a healthier planet, um, a safer world, and a more equitable society. Mm -hmm. Now, is your organization open to general membership? Are you a 501c3 group, or how does that work? Absolutely. Uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, um, which means we don't advocate for political parties or candidates running for election. We prize and pride ourselves on our nonpartisan um, nature, and we would absolutely um, be open and invite any of your listeners uh, to join us. Um, you can reach us at www.ucsusa.org. Um, we have over half a million members and supporters, including many scientists um, from disciplines and uh, fields, uh, hard science, social science, engineers, etc., but many, many everyday people who understand the importance of science um, and the importance of putting science into action for the public good. So we really, truly welcome everybody. Um, yes. Well, Johanna, that's a very noble goal. And it's one that we should all be involved with and support. But let's jump right into these three topics. They're all very important and they are life-threatening in every case, to be quite honest. But let's talk about the, the giant in the room, the as they say, the 800-pound gorilla climate change. What are you doing to help raise our awareness to the problems of climate change and what we can do 
to be helpful in confronting this this crisis that affects all 8 billion people on the planet? Well, it's a great question, Bill, and you're absolutely right. The climate crisis is only intensifying every day. Um, as a science-based advocacy organization, we at the Union of Concerned Scientists are uh, creating and generating our own um, uh, evidence base um, and research, uh, including lifting up the good uh, re trusted research of others um, to really uh, put into action on policy on all dimensions of climate change. And by climate change, um, we're trying to tackle that, that problem from a number of different angles, which I will unpack for you in a moment. Um, but just quickly for your listeners, I did want to underscore um, just um, what an unprecedented moment it is for climate-driven impacts now. Um, I think everyone is at least directly impacted, if not one degree of separation away from dangerously high temperatures, rising seas, deadly wildfires, torrential rainfall, devastating hurricanes. And certainly if you, you haven't experienced it yourself, you've seen it in the news and in the media. Um, we also know from experience and evidence that low income and racially marginalized communities are suffering the first and worst from the intensifying climate impacts. Um, these impacts are, are getting worse um, and the costs of them are going to mount dramatically if we don't both bring down fossil fuel emissions and work with communities around the country and around the world to adapt to the already baked in climate impacts that are underway. And that is at the heart of some of the work that we do at the Union of Concerned Scientists, whether it's within our climate and energy program, our clean transportation program, our food and environment program, um, uh, which all sort of are dimensions of trying to tackle uh, this issue. Mm -hmm. And if our viewers go to your website at ucsusa.org, they'll find yes. more information on that topic, I'm sure. Absolutely. Uh, www.usa.org. <clears throat> okay, very good. Excellent. Now, the United Nations has been a leader in at least bringing the countries of the world together, the scientists, the political leaders, what have you, the 193 countries of the UN to focus attention on climate change. This goes back several secretaries general it really was launched probably under Kofi Annan's uh, tenure as Secretary General, but it's really accelerated uh, with uh, Ban Ki-moon and with uh, Antonio Guterres. And they have held these conferences, but you also have the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It was set up by the United Nations. And I believe they've done like six reports. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but they have really been marking the way and pointing out the problems that have come true. Unfortunately, they've been accurate. And some say they're a little bit too conservative. They should really accelerate their findings a bit. But how do you tie in that, that information from the UN conferences, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, into what you're doing with your work? Bill, you really know your stuff. That is a great question. Um, I am a huge, and our organization is a huge fan of the United Nations. They are a vitally important multinational institution, not just because um, the only way we're going to move the needle on this crisis is working together um, across country boundaries, across domains, across fields, et cetera. And the UN really is at the front of that fight. 
the United Nations is not only important for sort of the important credible voice and for sort of helping to kind of connect the dots between all, all those essential governmental actors, um, but also, as you mentioned, for the really important reporting and products that it produces. So, you know, as you mentioned, um, many people and many of your listeners around the world are familiar with the United Nations um, climate talks. Um, I just returned um, last November um, from the 27th um, COP in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. So that's one example. Um, and certainly it was at one of those meetings that the Paris Climate Agreement was forged. Um, so again, for your listeners, um, this was an agreement um, that brought countries from around the world to commit to cutting their global warming emissions a certain percent to prevent our world uh, from exceeding 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. As you noted, we are far short of achieving that goal, which is why everybody's efforts um, are so needed now. Um, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC report, as you mentioned, has been issuing excellent reports. Um, yes, uh, six of them to date, including a most recent one just uh, a few months ago that warns that in some, frankly, many places around the world, the climate impacts are so severe that adaptation may no longer be an option. And we really need to be thinking about um, other ways to remedy um, uh, the sort of the human life and more than human life in these places. Um, we are, you know, so uh, needed um, to rapidly mobilize resources to keep people from around the world safe. And I would say that one of the most important successes coming out of COP26 last year um, was the provisions in the framework for loss and damage, um, which really helps to sort of address that issue that I mentioned. I did want to importantly mention that the United Nations General Assembly also recently asked the International Court of Justice to issue an advisory opinion um, laying out what countries' obligations are to protect the climate in order to protect human rights, because we know that equity, justice, rights need to go hand in hand with the technical and political and policy solutions to both bring down emissions and to help communities around the world adapt to climate change. We were super pleased that the UN General Assembly made that request of the International Court of Justice, and we issued a statement to that effect. Mm -hmm. That was a major decision by the General Assembly, and it unfortunately didn't get a lot of play outside of the media, but it should have. That was a major, major decision, uh, along with others they've done recently, like voting to take Russia off the, the United Nations Human Rights Council and a variety of other things, too. But as we look at this problem, we can all do things to improve. We can cut back on our energy use. We can go move to clean energy. We can multitask instead of driving someplace to do one thing, go three or four places, save gasoline, whatever the case might be, buy a, inter, um, an electric vehicle or whatever. But what can citizens do more to move the ball forward? Because we're running out of time on trying to get this climate change crisis under control, or at least slow it down. What else can we do that you can think of? Absolutely. Now, Bill, you mentioned some really important sort of personal actions that people can take from, you know, thinking about adjusting their diet, 
um, shifting to, you know, green transportation, uh, whether that's a car or green transit, et cetera. But really, um, the way to truly reach speed, scope and scale on these issues is to get active, um, to have um, your voice be heard among your local decision makers and policymakers and politicians. And one of the easiest ways, um, I'm just going to make a shameless plug here um, for your listeners to take action is to go to our website, um, ucsusa.org, and click on our Take Action tab at the top of the page, which is going to show you um, some of the latest work that we're doing to organize everyday folks on campaigns. Um, you can scroll down to buttons that allow you to learn more and take action um, from sign-on letters to getting um, active in learning how to spot disinformation. We haven't talked about democracy yet, but we can do that as well. Um, we're engaging everyday people at the community level, the state level, the regional level, the federal, and frankly, the global level on all of our interlocking issues, the climate crisis, dem democracy and democratic practice, and global security through the lens of nuclear disarmament and nuclear security, because all of those issues are interrelated. And we really need to mobilize everyday people of all generations, all backgrounds, because our common interest is served um, if we can move the needle on you know, truly public serving progress on all of these things. Um, the federal agencies right now are really listening to the public um, and are about to issue sort of an even a next set of regulations that will improve people's lives. We need your listeners and everyday people to be weighing in on them to push the most ambitious standards around, for instance, the power plant rules, vehicles and ethylene oxide regulations and more. And frankly, in terms of nuclear weapons, as the horrifying um, war in the Ukraine, Putin's war of aggression there has shown, um, is that this is a, a an existential threat that hasn't gone away. Everyday people can contact the White House and Congress about spending on nuclear weapons and on passing a bill to adequately compensate people harmed by testing and production related to nuclear weapons. Our experts have great relationships with reporters. We're covering these issues and we're creating um, advocacy opportunities um, that your listeners can engage on. And we all have a role to play in this and we have to be actively involved because our lives could depend upon it. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. If you're involved with a community access television station or a PBS station, or you have a podcast, or you're with an educational institution, that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a computer, you like our shows, you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. And today we are talking about three issues that do impact our lives quite, quite directly. And my guest is an expert on these, Ms. Johanna Chow Krylik is the president of the Union of Concerned Scientists, a scientific advocacy nonprofit based in the United States. Joanna, you've taken us right into nuclear threats. I'm glad we did that because we're running a little bit short of time. Climate change could dominate our whole discussion. But what else 
do we need to know about with the nuclear threat? It seems like the armament industry now is up to $2.2 trillion or something like that in sales. Uh, nuclear weapons proliferation seems to go on and on and on. What can we do to reduce that threat and to get people to pay attention to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty or whatever it is that we need to do to reduce that? Thank you, Bill. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, um, the nuclear weapons threat was really the foundational issue um, that the Union of Concerned Scientists was born on. And as we all know, um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has re really reawakened the world to the existential threat posed by nuclear weapons as well as the danger of a radiological release from the nuclear power plants caught in its crossfire. Um, UCS, the Union of Concerned Scientists, remains absolutely and firmly committed to the abolition of nuclear weapons. We, we continue to be one of the countries and the world's um, leading um, uh, research uh, trusted uh, sources of information and advocates. Um, and we're focused a lot on advocating for U.S. policies that reduce the risk of nuclear war. Um, policies that include reducing U.S. spending on nuclear weapons that is contributing to a continued global arms race. Um, really uh, entreating the Biden administration to enact what is called a no first use policy, making clear that the United States will never use nuclear weapons first in a conflict. Um, maintaining a first use option increases the chance of an attack against the U.S. And if a nuclear armed country like Russia, like China is concerned that the U.S. might use nuclear weapons first in a crisis, it could increase their incentive to go nuclear because of, of the use it or lose it thinking, which is why we're really pushing for a no first use policy. Um, we're also trying to educate the general public about the human and economic and public health costs, which are very real and very high of relying on nuclear weapons for security. We're advocating for legislation that would compensate people who have been harmed by nuclear weapons, testing and production, um, and uh, veterans, people in the Marshall Islands and people living downwind of US test sites are still fighting for recognition of the devastating um, health, public health, and so, uh, socioeconomic impacts of nuclear west weapon testing and radio um, radiation exposure. So those are just some of the ways that your listeners can get involved with us in actions um, that are related uh, to U.S. policy around nuclear disarmament. And we've talked about climate change. We've talked about nuclear proliferation. And of course, folks can go to your website and also go to the www.un.org to get a lot more information about what the United Nations is doing. And they're dealing with these issues every day. So I would encourage people to check out all these websites. Well, we're about out of time as usual. We never have enough time. But in the last three or four minutes we have, let's talk about one of the reasons that the United States has been so successful has been, been, been because it has been a democratic country. And we see our democratic institutions under attack every day. How do you view it from UCS's standpoint? And what are what are the threats there? 
So at the Union of Concerned Scientists, we fully recognize that democracy and science are inherently bound up with each other. They are, in fact, enabling conditions of each other's persistence and integrity. And so um, for, for over a decade, um, the Union of Concerned Scientists has uh, stood up a whole body of work related to protecting uh, a whole dimension of democratic practices, um, putting science in service of protecting democratic institutions, the, uh, the integrity, the scientific integrity of our federal governmental institutions and practices, and frankly, um, in on the ground communities, putting science to work to address um, uh, racialized gerrymandering, um, the attacks on voting rights and access to voting, um, and really supporting legislation that would eliminate barriers to voting. A really important piece that we're doing, and your listeners can go to our website to download our toolkit, um, is that we're really seeking to educate the wider public about disinformation, which is a form of propaganda using lies and falsehoods to confuse the public and promulgate um, confusion about mm -hmm. crucially important issues and the empirical basis for sound public serving policies on climate change, clean transportation, food security, um, nuclear security, et cetera. So I'd really love to um, let your listeners know that we do have those resources um, on our website as well. Um, and one last thing, a key part of our climate work, our democracy work, our nuclear security work is really joining science with justice to really recognize that those hit first and worst on all of these issues are um, uh, disproportionately black, brown, indigenous and low income communities. Um, so you can learn more about that um, at, on our website as well. That's a perfect resource and we need to tap into it. Well, in the last minute or so we have, the, the media have a major role to play. We've seen the misinformation, disinformation, outright lies that have come out. It's been proven conclusively. Fox News, Tucker Carlson, they have put out just a barrage of lies to their viewers, and they knew they were lying. And that's not just with Fox. It, it runs across the board, I think, to some degree, but they've, they've just been one of the major, major transgressors in this area. But what role does the media have to try to provide objective information to the public so that they can help make logical decisions and not based on all this misinformation, disinformation that's being shoved out there and people know is not correct? Well, Bill, it is um, public servant sort of journalists, independent journalists like yourself, uh, no matter whether TV, print publication, media outlets that are absolutely crucial in the fight um, and all the fights um, that we mentioned. Um, at UCS, we are the fact and truth people. That's the business that we are in. Um, we are re stand ready and willing to put um, really trusted, rigorous, independent research and data in the hands of uh, journalists, um, uh, publications. Uh, it's why we're so grateful to be invited um, here on your show. Um, we really want to work to put those science-based truths into the hands of an informed public, into the hands of science and experts who are going to join us in advocating for these science-based solutions and with partners around the world like yourselves and like all independent journalists and media outlets who really want to get the word out and help 
help us mobilize and inform citizenry on these issues that are so existential for ourselves and for our next generation. So please join us, join our science network and join us as members at www.ucsusa.org. Well, Joanna Chow Kreilich, that was a very excellent way to end the program and you summarized it very nicely. And we all do have a role to play and we have to be involved in, in these issues because we are affected whether we like it or not. It doesn't matter. We can't ignore climate change. We can't ignore uh, nuclear proliferation, nor can we ignore the erosion of democracy in this country. And we need to take action to deal with these problems. But I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you so much, Bill. And to thanks to Global Connections Television for uh, being such a great ally. Our pleasure. Thank you. Right. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.